HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I'm here today with uh, a good buddy and a a neighbor of mine um, in the restaurant industry. I'm here with Will Tigert, the owner of Freeman's Alley and Peel's Restaurants, and uh, also Gothic Wines. Um, Will, it's great to have you here today. Uh, It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, at, at your restaurants, you definitely focus on, um, uh, wines that are small production that are, that are, that are very high quality. I really love your wine list. Um, uh, but one of the things that, that struck me and one of, one of the, the first places that I had this kind of wine was that, that you have these great balanced American wines, uh, and, uh, you, you're doing it at, at Freeman's way before I think uh, a lot of people were doing it. And that was definitely one of the first places that, uh, that, that I got into these kinds of wines. Where, uh, where did you, you get this inspiration? Well, we've been doing a, you know, an international program at Freeman's from the beginning with a lot of French wines. But then we've also, uh, you know, being an American restaurant, we felt we had to represent the home team. So we spent some time uh, going out uh, to California, to Oregon, uh, to New York, to the you know the wine producing regions uh, domestically. They're easier to get to, uh, and especially on our restaurateur schedule. And uh, everyone speaks English, so that also <laughs> that also helps. And just you know having these relationships, also you know New York being such a mecca for wine. Uh, these people are here; uh, they're in the market. Uh, you can see them, meet them, hang out with them. Um, not to say that uh, you know they don't. Um, the Europeans are also very well represented, but you know I think also that uh, the a lot of it is that uh, American wine is still a young industry, and there's now there's this whole new generation of uh, of people in the wine industry that are you know third fourth generation. 
and they're they're here in New York and they're hanging out and they're partying and they're you know you get to meet them and then have that direct connection to the producer and to into the vineyards and then that kind of started a lot of the the relationships and then they've just built over time. And do you, do you remember some of the uh, the first wines that you had in in that in that style? Um, I think uh, some of the you know the Hirsch Vineyard Pinot Noirs. You know, I think it was we opened uh, Freeman's in two thousand four, so it's probably when they just started making their first mm-hmm. some of their first production. Uh, and I met David at, uh, at one of the current tastings, and I was really uh, really impressed with the wines, uh, as well as I'm trying to think who else another um, one of some of the, some of the very first. Some, I mean, there was a, you know, Stafford Hill or Holleran Pinot Noirs that uh, Planner, like, brought in. You know, it basically started with Pinot uh, for me and then kind of, you know, spread out to a lot of the other varietals and then to some of the old Napa cabs. I mean, I was fortunate to get into the wine industry, uh, you know, around the time I opened the restaurant, so about 10 years ago. And so I didn't have a lot of the... You know the kind of the cult cab blow up that happened in the '90s, or I wasn't, uh, you know, so I, I had a lot of um, didn't have a lot of uh, preconceived notions of you know what American wine was, and so I was tasting all this like cool techie stuff from the, you know, that was in uh, is in the market just coming into the market at that time. So it was really it was really interesting and a good time to be introduced to you know Kathy Corazon when they were you know first gaining a lot of traction in New York. Uh, though they I mean they've been here forever, but but uh, they just got like a whole new uh, you know wave of momentum and some of the older uh, you know uh, Napa properties. And tell us about uh, this time when you were opening up the restaurant, just experiencing, uh, just getting into the wine industry. What yeah, you know, what was your impetus for for opening up the restaurant? How did it all come together? And then how did you end up also doing the wine program? Um, well, we are the first person that we had work uh, help us out because I mean we started the, the wine industry. I uh, you know, we start. We opened up the uh, opened up Freeman's. I had uh, very little experience with wine. Um, I start. I went to. I uh, did a, the American sommelier um, classes for you know the six months we were opening the restaurant, and then uh, uh, Vanessa uh, Boyd helped us out with our first writ list. That she was just she just uh, stopped working at uh, Morel. so she came in and wrote us this like super techie list and we really didn't know that much about wine so we we're like okay this looks great well you know we so again we weren't uh, burdened with uh, previous knowledge so you know she put on all these really small producers and even you know some of our uh, you know people in the wine industry looked at our list and were like you know there's no you know there's there's no there's none of the greatest hits here this is all like super you know it's, it was all like you know muscadet grower champagne you know, at the time, stuff that was really new. Um, and we were like, yeah, well, we, you know, this is great. This tastes good. Um, we we're just trying to, you know, keep the wheels on the restaurant. We didn't know what we were doing. So um, it, uh, and then it just evolved from there. And then we started out, you know, holding the kind of boutique banner and we just kind of kept it. And then, you know, once we became successful, a lot of the, you know, the big champagne houses came knocking, wanting placements and a lot of other uh, people, um, you know, oh, oh, you have to have, this is a wine you have to have on your list. And this is like a New York wine and uh, that everyone has. And we were just like kind of just stuck to our thing and then grew the list and grew the list and, you know, got more space. And as Freeman's grew. And then uh, when we opened, um, you know, when we opened Peels, we opened it, we wanted to do mostly a domestic list. And so we had a few, we hedged our bets and we had a few, um, um, 
you know, we had a few European producers and we had champagne because it was like, okay, well, we can't not have champagne, especially because we were, you know, it's going to be a daytime focused place and we love drinking champagne. But then uh, within a year of opening Peels, we transitioned to an all domestic list, which was uh, kind of interesting because I don't think there, you know, I think there's only a few restaurants in New York that were, that were doing that. Yeah, so tell us, uh, back up a little bit, um, sure. tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, what you were doing before you opened up Freeman's and what was, what was the impetus? What, what made you to decide to, to choose that, that random alley in the Lower East Side? Well, and- yeah, I mean, personally, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I had a design company in Detroit. Uh, I'm a Midwest kid. Uh, I sold the company in the nine, late 90s and then moved to New York because um, I wanted to you know, expand out of Detroit. And then um, I was looking for a new gig, and I wanted to open a bar because I, you know, I thought that would be cool and that'd be a way to meet people and get an ingratiated new city. And then um, I uh, met my uh, business partner uh, Tavo, and he he was trying to open up a cafe in the Lower East Side. And um, I was like, "Well, can we put a bar in it?" And he's like, "Okay, yeah, we'll, show, we'll put a bar in it." And so he, you know, he found the alley because he was throwing a bunch of parties. And uh, he wanted a space to throw a party, and then so we, you know, we found the space, and uh, the owner was like, "Well, you could throw a party, but I don't want the traffic on the front of the building, so you have to go through this alley in the back." And he looked at the alley, we looked at the alley, and he's like, "We're like, oh, can we just rent this little space in the back? You know, will you give it to us for cheap because you can't sell it?" And at the time, Freeman's was a, it was a soup kitchen. It was um, the Bowery uh, Residents Committee. It, it was, you know, one of the kind of part of a lot of the services uh, down on on the Bowery uh, servicing, um, uh, you know, people, uh, homeless folks, and, you know, there's needle exchanges and stuff. So it was, you know, people come into Freeman's and they think, oh, this has been here forever and this is really old. But, I mean, it was it was the mechanical room of a soup kitchen. It was like linoleum tile and a giant, uh, you know, the giant... Um, it, uh, air exhaust unit and it was and neon lights and uh, not i mean it was terrible it was just like it was like so we gutted the whole thing and we built it ourselves over a over like a nine month period it's kind of every day and uh then you know then we opened it up and everyone was like oh this is something that you just like found and uh decorated but you know, it was all it was all very intentional uh and then it, it became a it became a hit and we expanded it twice and now we have you know, uh, almost 9,000 square feet. And we have a large second floor that we do um, a lot of private events, but we kept the scale of it small. So it still feels very residential. It feels like you're going into like a, you know, a, a townhouse or an old house in, uh, in and, you know, I'm always impressed by the, by the design of your, of your restaurants. I, I, I love Freeman's does have that, that really classic feel. And uh, it, it's, it's really great to hear you say that you know it was so intentional because you're there it feels completely natural and uh i actually one of my favorite rooms of yours is the second floor at peels overlooking the uh the bowery and the the ramon sign uh from the bar i think that is just an awesome awesome room what's uh what's the inspiration who's who's involved and in charge of the design of the restaurants um my partner tavo somer does uh is an architect uh, by trade he did uh he did all the designs of the restaurant uh, he's a you know he's a very talented designer, uh, but uh, his process is very organic. So he kind of comes in and uh, you know uh, he has sketches of what he wants to do, and then we kind of move towards that. And then as we're, then as he's working, you know things will evolve and change. But uh, 
you know, even Freeman's, it's kind of like we've re- we've you know built that restaurant and stripped it down and rebuilt it three times now. Um, you know, Peels, even with Peels, like the ground floor, you know, we opened with this large communal table and this kind of uh, diner counter, and then uh, and this to-go bakery, and that's kind of morphed into. Now you go in there, it's boot seating. There's a bar. We're expanding. We're constantly just kind of changing. You know, any rest, any good restaurant, especially one in a place as cutthroat and dynamic as uh, as New York, has to be dynamic. And you know, maybe you hit it the first time out, and everything's perfect and just gels. I mean, the front room of Freeman's hasn't really changed since we've opened it, except for you know some of the decorations. But you know, at Peels, we've been you know changing the. We put in. We're putting in, even this spring. We're putting a new bar in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're changing and, and evolving the way uh, the space works because it's, you know, it's like the the best laid plans. You d- you have this perfect design of how it's going to work, and then it, you put people in it, and you put alcohol in it, and you put then you put five thousand people through the restaurant, and you're like, well, you know, the servers can't get around this corner, and they keep on you know keep on hitting it, and so we have to change this, or no one likes sitting in this booth. Okay, well. Don't just be like that's going to be the bad seat. Let's change it. Let's rip it out. Let's put something else in. So it's. I think that's one of the most fun and creative parts about the opening of the restaurant. Once once you are open, then going through the process and seeing what what are those changes, what are those adaptations, and uh, we had to do a bunch of that at at, at La Picho that we just I'm opened sure. up. Um, but uh, I think that that's an exciting and creative time as long as you look at it like that and don't get too frustrated with it. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's a it's a high it's a high wire act you know you have to uh, you have to it has to be effortless and it has to look graceful at the same time you know that if you if you slip up you're going to be you know falling <laughs> falling towards the net so it's 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 fun uh, and it's exciting but at the same yeah it, it's uh, it's definitely a, a process. So at what point did you take over the wine buying for the restaurants? Uh, I worked with we worked with Vanessa for like a year or so, and then we worked with uh, my now partner on uh, on Gothic, um, Josh Nadell, for a couple of years, and then I took it over full time probably about six seven years ago, mm-hmm. uh, doing all the wine buying. Uh, and for me, it was just great because uh, if I if all I had to do was you know run the restaurant, you know it. it you know, it might have been get boring after a while or get not some boring, but monotonous. So the wine world is just, you know, it's as you, as you know, it's just such like a vast world. And it's a great way to be creative and to meet people and travel. And so it's been a great outlet for me to, uh, you know, to have a have this great um, platform to kind of uh, to show to focus on wine uh, at Freeman's. And then now, you know, at Peel's. Yeah. What's uh, what's one wine that will always be? On your lists, no matter what. One wine that will always be on our list. Um, let me think. I would say, uh, you know, at Freeman's, we've had a couple wines that have we've had since the day we've opened. Uh, one would be uh, the. It's now. I mean, it's a very popular wine now. But the the Quatera from uh, Crochet for the uh, Sancerre we've had since we've opened, and it's always been like just a super solid wine. Another one would be uh, Chateau Le Mont. Uh It's a Bordeaux, uh, white Bordeaux uh, Sauvignon Blanc that has uh, been on the, you know, been the house wine at Freeman's since since literally the day we've opened and. You know, I've, we've met the people from the chateau, and they're, they're always happy to see us because, like, we've literally sold containers of their wine. <laughs> and uh, so that's been, uh, and it's now that wine is, is you know, it's a lot more popular. But like when we started, it was like, 
I mean, that wine was like, you know, we had it on the wine, we had it on the wine list for like $6 a glass or something like that when we first opened. And, you know, now you see it on, I see it on wine list for like 16 but it's been, uh, it's, yeah, it's, there's certain, there's certain properties that, uh, you know, that we've been supported the whole time. And it's, it's nice to always have the standards and then always have new, new you know, new room to grow. All right. Well, we're going to take just a quick break, but when, uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about what, uh, what are some of your new finds. And, uh, I apologize if you've been, uh, listening to me slurping and enjoying the, uh, the Gothic Pinot Noir, but, uh, I'm going to ask you all about that as well. Great. Thanks. This one's Big Pants by Rectech on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Uh, I've got a big smile. You can't see it, but uh, it's because I'm drinking some really tasty Pinot Noir from, uh, from Gothic. Uh, Will, can you tell us a little bit about, about your project uh, of Gothic Wines? I'm uh, sure. Uh, Gothic Wines is a uh, wine label that uh, I started with uh, my partner, uh, Josh Nadell, uh, who's the beverage director at uh, the Dutch uh, La Conde Verde and the um, soon-to-be-opened uh, uh, Lafayette in New York City. Uh, he's a, I've been working with him for about seven years, and uh, first on the wine list at Freeman's, and then through that, uh, some other small projects, and then we uh, decided to start working on Gothic wine. Uh, we make uh, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and a Rosé, uh, all out of Oregon. Um, we're right now we're on our th- coming up on our third vintage, um, so we're we're very excited about that, and um, it's been it's been going really well. Logistically, how how does this work? You're you're on the East Coast, Oregon's on the West Coast. Um, logistically, it gives me an ex- like a, a, a real business reason to be uh, to be in Oregon uh, four or five times a year, which is uh, great because if I didn't have that, as you know, in the, in the restaurant industry, you just get sucked in. Um, so um, it gives me a little bit of balance. It gets me uh, out on the uh, out on the West Coast, but uh, we um, it's a negotiation project. So we uh, we contract uh, fruit contracts with uh, specific vineyards, uh, some of which we've been working with for three or four years now, and then uh, we have a custom crush facility uh, in uh, Dundee, 
in a, right in the Willamette Valley, and uh, they produce the wine for us, and then we sell it uh, here in New York, and we're in about seven states right now. So we're in um, New York, uh, you know, kind of the Northeast, you know, Connecticut, uh, New, New Jersey, Massachusetts. Starting, we just started in uh, California, Texas, Florida. And uh, when, when you were looking for uh, for fruit to source for growers to work with, uh, what was your process? Um, well, we started kind of, uh, you know, we've we had a good we had a good time. You know, our first vintage was the 2009 vintage, which was. Uh, a large vintage for Oregon as far as there was a, a lot of fruit available. So, um, you know, Oregon uh, is, is a challenging environment as far as there's a lot of uh, uh, vintage variation with, uh, with a lot of it between the weather there. They struggled to get uh, to get the grapes ripe on some years, uh, though they've kind of um, honed in over the past, uh, especially over the past 10 years and really have, uh, you know, brought the quality of, of the wines up and really figured out uh, you know when to pick, when not to pick, and, and uh, so you know we we kind of met, went went out and met uh, a bunch of the vineyards, uh, toured the properties, tasted the fruit, did some kind of historical tastings, and then uh, kind of settled in and worked on the blending process. I mean, we started with uh, our kind of signature Pinot Noir, which is uh, Nevermore, which is a blend from uh, three vin- three uh, three vineyards. Uh, one's uh, Monk's Gate. Uh, it's kind of it. There's a, I don't want to get too technical on all of the little uh, AVAs in Oregon, but uh, it's a kind of a it's a mix of one vineyard from each of the th- you know three main uh, AVAs: uh, the old Amity Hills uh, from Willakaya, from uh, Monksgate and uh, Yamhill Carlton, and then from uh, Highland and in Minville. And so, I mean, basically, we tasted through a lot of stuff, and we found that the ones we really liked were the old, happened to be the oldest ones. So um, then, we after that, we kind of honed in on like what are the older vineyards, what are the ones that have you know been in production since uh, the early '80s from the '70s. Um, we do a lot of work with Highland Vineyard and uh, Marsh Vineyard, and those are both two of the oldest vineyards in Oregon. So you say uh, so vine age or vineyard establishment age is what what really was the difference? I think I think a little bit of a little bit of both. Uh, the older vines, I mean, this is all pl- pr- you know, pre-phylloxera. There wasn't any phylloxera, or people weren't even, that wasn't even on the radar. They were just like, oh, let's try to make wine. So they weren't worried about uh, you know, root stock as much. Or uh, So a lot of these uh, vines have uh, had a lot of time. You're working with a lot of volcanic soils. Uh, so they, uh, and they kind of have the, you know, the famous Jory soil, which is this red volcanic soil uh, that they do a lot, that they have in a lot of places in, uh, in the Lombard Valley. So they have uh, a lot of time for these, you know, 30-year-old vines, which you know, is, is old, really old for, for American wine, uh, at least especially in Oregon, and um, to, you know, to drill down. And then even though these are really, uh, you know, there's, there's now flocks around there, now some of these problems uh, these older vineyards don't really have much issues because they've had so long to establish. And so, and they just produced the more, the, you know, the fruit that had the kind of uh, depth and character. A lot of things that we were looking at were from, um, you know, we're big burgundy heads. And so, you know, when we looked at, we looked at California and we looked at, you know, there was some great uh, stuff in California, especially the Sonoma coast, but it, it was just too expensive just, you know, for us coming in to start our sort of wine. We needed a, we wanted a wine that we could pour in our restaurants and a wine for on-premise guys like ourselves for, you know, for folks in the restaurant industry. So, um, you know, that's what we focused in on Oregon as having a lot of value. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm tasting it, and it, it does remind me a lot of the uh, the wines that I do enjoy from the Sonoma Coast. Uh, that that kind of medium bodied, very balanced, bright, bright, uh, fresh, crisp fruit, fresh, crisp acidity, um, a little uh, a little minerality even, which is fun to see in a, a red wine. Uh, very balanced, very very drinkable, re- really tasty. Is that what's the style that you're going for? Because to me, it it really does remind me of those kind of cooler climate, edging up on the Pacific Ocean kind of uh, Pinot Noirs. Yeah, well, we're looking for a food friendly wine. Um, again, you know, we're in the restaurants um, pouring wine for people to eat with, you know, to to eat with. So we want uh, lower alcohol. We don't want um, high, we don't want super high extraction. We don't want, you know, 14, 14, five, uh, you know, Pinot Noirs, uh, a lot of sometimes, uh, a lot of the, you know, the high scoring Pinots, uh, or just high scoring wines in general for a long time. This is changing now, of course, but, uh, you know, we're kind of, you know, high, uh, high alcohol, powerful wines that, you know, people equated, you know, power with, um, with quality. Um, and, but, you know, we love, um, you know, softer wines. I want to be able to drink, you know, uh, you know, a couple wines through through the meal, and you know, still be able to, you know, walk home. Uh, so it's we, um, you know, we're looking for something that we can pair with food. Um, the wine that we're drinking right now, I think, is the, the like, Gothic Nevermore Pinot Noir 2010. Yeah, it's you know, this is a 13.5, which is I think in 2009 was a really ripe vintage. Was the only vintage that we've done anything over 14 percent alcohol. Mm. I mean, we do stuff. This feels lighter. I would even call it even a little bit lower. Yeah, I mean, we have. um, I mean, those the actual the uh, on the wine, but we have uh, some stuff we do from the Marsh Vineyard that has like you know is twelve point eight, and then people are like, well, you know, this is you know some people it's it's you know it's it's you know what tastes good in your glass. So there's some people that are like, oh, this is too soft. This is like strawberry juice. I want something you know a little more, you know, that's going to take the edge off the day. (laughs) Uh, And there's other people that you know. You know, this is really what they hone in on, and you know, but for what we want, um, uh, for you know, for you know, for restaurant service, and you know, I, I think of wine as a grocery. It's like you know, it's wine is on the table. It's with food, so um, not that I don't like to drink it by its own, but it's you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking for that's what we're going for. So I, I have to ask you something I've always wondered. I mean, you 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 look like like a nice Midwestern boy. Like we're, we're wearing the same pair of New Balance sneakers. Like what? Where did? And I know Josh as well. He's certainly not, you know, very gothic. Where, where did that name Gothic come from? Um, well, I mean, a couple places. One, uh, you know, despite my uh, my calm uh, my calm appearance and demeanor, uh, you know, I was uh, an industrial kid uh, in. Um, in uh in detroit i definitely uh, I, I can't say that i you know i wasn't at uh, didn't you know break a tooth in a skinny puppy concert in the early 90s and, <laughs> and uh uh you know um spent some time uh in, you know wearing a lot of black when i was <laughs> when i was uh, when i was in high school but but really you know gothic for me is more um you know this is uh you know gothic nevermore we really take that inspiration more from the uh from the gothic uh, gothic literature, so we're looking at uh, we're looking at, at you know this Nevermore is from Edgar Allan Poe, of course, uh, but also just you know that kind of uh, that kind of feeling and that kind of uh, uh, atmosphere. I mean, part of it's so, you know we went to spend some uh, a lot of time in Oregon, and uh, you know we were there at all times of the year. So in the winter, especially, 
it's very uh, it's very gray. It's very moody. It's very evocative. Every every time we would go and visit these vineyard properties, there'd be all this like mist rolling over the hills, and you know I kept on waiting for like there's lots of these you know large crows and uh, hawks, and uh, you see them on a bunch of um, uh, Oregon wine labels, and uh, you know it really had that kind of feeling. We'd sit on this hilltop and just watching the mist like roll through you know the pine trees and into the vineyards and. Uh, it had that kind of uh, dark, brooding kind of uh, atmosphere, and you know the kind of wines we were looking for, you know, are kind of a little bit more kind of, you know, I wouldn't say the you know color-wise, we're not looking for super dark wines, but it, it was um, that kind of the kind of feeling, that kind of like rainy day wine, where uh, it had a lot of texture and it was complicated, but you know, but you know had uh, character. And, and to change the subject to something a little bit lighter and happier. <laughs> it's the uh, first day of spring. It's really nice. You, know. it's first, uh, you just got engaged. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. What, yeah. is, what, uh, what, what did you drink uh, to celebrate your engagement? We were actually, uh, I uh, just got engaged to uh, my fiance, uh, Yusa. Uh, we actually, uh, in, in true wine fashion, we did it uh, at a vineyard. We were at the, the uh, nice. uh, we were at uh, Soder Vineyards in, uh, in Oregon. Uh, at the top of uh, at the top of uh, Mineral Springs Ranch, uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful vineyard on the kind of uh, overlooking uh, Carlton, uh, and uh, we did. She didn't know what was going on, so we did uh, we did a, t- a tasting, uh, and we had a rare like beautiful uh, day, spring day like today, uh, with lots of sun, and so we did a full tasting, uh, and then we were walking out and you know looking over the the vineyards in the valley and uh, popped the question, and then. The Soder people, who were great, uh, were totally in on it, and they brought out uh, the you know the so- Soder uh, uh, sparkling uh, brute uh, brute wine. Uh, the new vintage isn't even out yet, and so we wow. we drank uh, we drank uh, some of the you know best uh, sparkling wine in America and one of the most beautiful vineyards in America, and it was it was great. Yeah, how could she say no? <laughs> yeah, I mean, wait. So she, <laughs> she said no. It was gonna be. It was gonna be. You know, I was. I was gonna. Just gonna I, I would just lay it down. It wouldn't. Uh, that was my best shot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I, I'm such a huge fan of, of those wines as well. I wish they were uh, more available. We can't. I try to. I've been trying to buy the Soder Brut Rosé since we opened uh, La Picho, and it's just not. Well, they had the ninety. They had the ninety eight in the market for a long time, and then he bought a new vineyard. Um, he used to be over on, uh, I think, on Beacon Hill, and then he moved to Middle Springs Ranch, and the vine. It's just now hitting third leaf. So, and then you know the the beautiful and uh, frustrating thing of sparkling wine is it takes a long. So, uh, he's been, uh, you know, laying it down, um, doing the riddling for a year, you know, for a couple of years now. And now it's just going to be in the market. So this, this fall, you should definitely see some, you should, uh, you should talk to, talk to the soda guys. Great. And, uh, you guys should definitely, uh, look out for it. There's still wines are absolutely delicious as well, but I think that sparkling brood and the brute rosé are like, yeah, they're, they're, they're really, they're really nice. They're really special. He does a good job. Um, also just have to give you uh, a, a shout and a, a thank you. Uh, pretty much, uh, all of us at the restaurants go, uh, at least all the guys at least go go to the uh, FSC barbers to to get these uh, quaffed hairdos. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, we just opened up a new, we just opened up a, a new uh, barbershop here in Brooklyn on uh, on North Eighth uh, near Wythe, and so it's a uh, it's our fourth it's our uh, third one in New York and our fourth one overall. So and the fourth one in uh, out in uh, in. Or- in San Francisco, San Francisco, right? You're right yeah. on, on Valencia, uh, 18th in Valencia. Yeah, I was walking out of one of my favorite restaurants in San Francisco, Bar Tartine, and I was like, oh, 
my friends are here too. Yeah, I we're. No idea. We put it. I think since uh, we opened that in like two years ago, and since we've opened that, ten restaurant properties have opened up in Valencia. It's just a huge like boom. Um, up and down that whole street, and there's just so many uh, great restaurants and uh, great places to drink wine. Barchetine being like you know one of the top. All right, well, Will Will Tiger, thank you so much for uh, for being on in the drink. I really appreciate. It. Definitely encourage everyone to uh, to go check out Freeman's Alley and Peels and uh, check out the uh, the Gothic wines. They are absolutely delicious. Uh, you'll definitely see me at, at the restaurant soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys, and thanks to you for listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.